0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 328 with Dave Hollis. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 328. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms For this episode comes from Lola, a modern approach to feminine care. Hello, friends. We have a special guest today. So I know that we have some serious Rachel Hollis fans in the audience. And today on the show, we have her husband, Dave Hollis. And I'm so excited to have Dave Hollis joining us as a very shameless dad. And this interview, it was a while in the making, for sure. I've been trying to get Dave or Rachel on the show since I think September. And I have to tell you, if you follow Dave and Rachel Hollis on social media, you know that they are doing all of the things and trying to get them on the show. They could not have been more generous and gracious and just easy to communicate with. I think that I was pretty blown away. I appreciated just so much how conscientious they were about communication and generous they were with their time. Rachel is not currently doing podcast interviews. And so instead, I got Dave on the show. And this is just an example of what happens when you don't take no for an answer. So... There actually was a time when we thought Rachel was going to be able to make it on the show before her book launch and speaking tour her got totally out of control. And so during that time, her team was really great to work with. But then at a certain point, they were like, we just can't book her on podcast right now. There's too many other things going on. And instead of accepting that as a no, I was like, okay, so plan B what if Dave comes on the show? Because I know Dave has a lot to say about a lot of things. And so let's get Dave on the show as a shameless dad. And right away, Dave personally responded to my email. So yes, I have been emailing with Dave Hollis personally. And he said, he was like, yes, within 15 minutes of me sending this proposed email, he was like, yes, absolutely. Let's get the team on it. Let's get it booked. So he they've just been a delight to work with. I can't say enough great things. And so we end up with Dave on the show, If you followed my Instagram stories, you know that my day that Dave (laughs) was to come on the show was just one disaster after another with me trying to monitor noise around my house, which is literally never a problem. Like, I've never had a problem with noise management when I'm trying to record the podcast. But on the day that Dave Hollis came on the show, on my street and in my house, I had cement being jackhammered in my front yard. I had the neighbor with like three chainsaws taking trees down, like three feet from my office window. And then we had flooring being torn out of our own house right above my office. And I was like, this is the universe just laughing in my face, like, you're never going to make this happen. And you know what? I did. So this interview happened in my closet, (laughs) and I think it turned out pretty well. So I hope that you listen. I hope that you enjoy. I totally appreciate Dave's transparency and vulnerability in this conversation. I think it's going to be a ton of fun and insightful for you to listen in as he really pulls the curtain back on some of what life has been like for him and Rachel in the last year and leading up to the last year or so. So for those of you who don't know, Dave Hollis is husband to Rachel Hollis and father to Jackson Sawyer, Ford, and Noah Hollis and the CEO of the Hollis Company after having a 17-year run at Disney and leaving his role there as president of theatrical distribution for the Walt Disney Studios. Dave looks to take his experiences as a global theatrical sales head for Disney, Pixar, and Marvel and Lucasfilms to the expansion plans in the next exciting phases of the Hollis Company, focusing on media, live events, and merchandise. Dave drives a 1969 Ford Bronco and intermittently loves the family dog, Jeffrey, which I totally appreciate because I also intermittently love our dog, Granny Danny, as you all know. I invited Dave to come on the show because I wanted to have him talk about what it's like to have a massive shift in identity as he's flipped his profession upside down to leave his successful career in order to support his wife's successful career i also wanted to talk to him more about his journey into personal development as so many of you have asked me how we can get our partners more involved and invested in areas of growth and evolution and i so appreciate dave showing up for this conversation 100 percent open and ready to share and give so listen in to hear dave share the challenges that present themselves in the face of massive success the power and the gift of discipline when life is moving 100 miles an hour How his identity has evolved as he walked away from his successful career in order to support his wife's career and dreams, his fears and vulnerability around his new identity, how women can get their partners involved and invested in personal development without nagging and preaching, why he stopped using alcohol as a coping skill, what his ally tattoo means to him as a straight white man who is fully aware of his white privilege, and a sneak peek into his upcoming book. This conversation is gold and fire and magic, and I am so here for it, and I hope that you get as excited about this as I do. Listen in, share it out, and let me know what you think. With all that said, I'm so excited and honored to welcome Dave Hollis to the Shameless Mom Academy. Dave Hollis, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. As a shameless dad, so, so excited and honored to have you here today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm excited for whatever this shameless hour of hangout will end up being.
0: Exactly, for our shameless journey together. (laughs) It's going to be fabulous. So before we get started, I have to congratulate you, you and Rachel. Rachel writes her books, and those are her works of art and her words, but we're going to dive into all this idea about how you support the business and what your role in all of it is. But you two have a book right now that is – Uh, number one bestseller on the New York Times bestselling list. And you have another book that is the number two book on the New York Times bestsellers list. So congratulations. I mean, this is like unprecedented.
1: It is bananas. And I will pass 100% of your kind words to Rachel Hollis, who deserves all of them. As much as yes, the company does a bunch of work. Rachel Hollis made the thing. And she's experiencing something that probably many people have not. And I think it's a testament to like a decade and a half of crazy work and listening a lot to a community of people represent what they were hoping she might write. So it's been amazing.
0: So exciting. So exciting. And I don't think we can discredit the value and impact of a supportive partner and family. That's we're a part, this
1: of, thing. That's a part of the equation. A... Now for sure. Hey, we're 100% in this thing together on the everyday and i mean the wild thing is if you are familiar with our story then this is just a quick clip note version if you're not i'll give it to you so that you can kind of pick us up in mid conversation yeah, yeah but, go for it like the choice for us to jump into this proposition together let's go create content for people that might help them make their lives better if they want to consume it under the banner of Hollis Company instead of what was previously Chic Media that she for 15 years built from scratch, was a decision we made about six, eight months before Girl, Wash Your Face came out, which now seems like, dang it, we had a good sense of what was coming, but at the time didn't have us knowing all of what was going to come together. So the way that we had to work together, the support that was necessary during a window of time where there was a little more uncertainty than that support transitioning into weathering what was for her and, and for me, the most extraordinary and overwhelming year of our professional lives. My having transitioned out of a corporate job, her experiencing success from something that she created on a level that could not have been anticipated. And that in that success had overwhelmingly amazing highs and so much gratitude and appreciation for the audience, but also stuff that you just don't think about when it comes to your time and how you might get pulled into a thousand different directions and what it might mean to go shopping and have your kids in tow and have someone Mm want to come up and grab a picture on aisle four. And you're, (laughs) you know, maybe not in that, like, best mindset to be able to do that, but you got to like, you know, turn it on and do it anyway. Like there have been so many things that have come over this last year. So support, you know, showed up and the support, I have to say 100% has gone both ways because as much as I think the pairing of her dreaming the biggest dreams and my practical Let's think about how we achieve those things and do it in the right sequence with the right strategy is part of what makes the partnership work so well. But I've needed her support in a very big identity shift over the course of the last year and a half of my life that we're, I think, succeeding and doing the kind of things that we're going to do because of a mutual support system that exists. Yet, yeah, me for her, but also her for me.
0: Yeah, actually, so I have identity as a topic I want to dive into in a minute. Before we go there, I want to back up for just a second, because I think that you know, I'm in this life coaching entrepreneurial space as a professional stalker. I follow all of the things that you and Rachel are doing and a lot of people in your space are doing. And I think that what I've noticed is that when we see people rise quickly, what we perceive to be quickly in our own eyes, because we see it happen via Instagram, not via 15 years of day in, day out, hard work and blood, sweat and tears. When we see people rise quickly, or at least in our perception, I think that that can be triggering to other people. And I've heard people literally say that watching your rise and Rachel's rise has been hard to see for people who feel like, oh my gosh, I've been working so hard and I'm never going to get there. And I want to flip that first and say, I think it's inspiration because I think it shows what can be done when you assume that you are unstoppable. But I also think that that quick success in this last phase of it, this most recent phase, I think comes with a lot of unique challenges and something that I've been noticing as I watch and as I've been in communication with you over the last few months, first trying to get Rachel on the show and then, you know, continuing with by stalking to get you on the show. What I've noticed is the level of busyness and work and travel and like all these things. As much as that seems like, oh my gosh, that must be amazing, it also seems like, wow, that must be really hard and really overwhelming. So I'm curious, how do you address those challenges and address your life blew up in a really big way in a really short amount of time? How do you create normalcy within that?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to answer a couple of things that you said, even though you're asking a single question. So I think the one thing that's really important for anyone who's chasing a dream, anyone, which should be everyone, anyone who has potential beating in their heart that they want to try and unleash and bring to the world, it is going to take time. And as much as, you know, like this last year has been amazing and many of the conversations that Rachel has had on a national talk show or a big podcast have started with, wow, your first book blew up. It was her sixth book. Right. As much as there's this perception because of the new nature that many people in the community may be to knowing who she is or what we're doing, just because you didn't know what she was doing for the last 15 years of time <laughs> doesn't mean that she wasn't doing the work, right. right? We both grew up in families of four kids inside of homes with not that much money. We both had to figure out how to be scrappy as we transitioned out of those homes and then got jobs and worked. And worked and worked and worked. And over the course of my almost twenty-five year career, I had many, many jobs that I had to kill it for to create the kind of opportunity. But I started in the same place that every single listener started. Yeah. A person who had a dream in his heart and passion and the belief that I had the ability to unleash that potential to do good and to further my career. And I went and worked at it. And she had that same belief. And so she spent all of this time doing the work to create the platform that this success could be born from. So the first thing is, it doesn't happen fast. Right. And when I'll even say, like when she's on stage and someone raises their hand and says, you know, what's the secret? What's the secret to this last year? The answer that she will give just about every time is keeping your eyes on your own paper, spending mm-hmm. years making sure that you are building something that matters, that's consistently filled with quality and delivering unbelievable value, and then letting time pass, failing and learning and applying the learnings from those failures to get better until you're great, right?
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough
1: stuff. So one, it's just a long journey. The second piece, though, in real time, the last year of this existence has been hard, right? Like, it's been amazing, but it's been hard. And if there's any illusion that like, hey, if I can just get to fill in the blank, whatever Mm -hmm. it is in your life, you're walking towards the next milestone. If I can just become VP. If I could just make this much money, if I could just have this thing happening for my family, or if I could just, and when you just get to that next thing, you will experience a series of new things that are introduced in your life that you have to figure out how to make work in your life. Now, there's no complaining over here. Like, (laughs) this is the price of admission. I'm in. Like, I'm here for this being hard, but I also don't want the, like, celebrating at the beginning of the podcast of the success of the books to like color the fact that we are fighting in real time to create the kind of peace and time with our family and the time for us as a couple to connect that we need to make this sustainable and so there's yep going to be times in your professional or personal growth journey that it feels like that treadmill has been turned on to 10 and you just got to hold on. And you've got to run as fast as you can. And you've got to know that it's a season and work during the season to be as intentional as possible to create the respite that you need so you can survive it. And then once you get out of that phase where the treadmill's on 10, create the system, the structure, the habits, morning routine, the diet and exercise, everything that when it ends up ratcheting up again. You have the structure in place, the help in place, the team in place, the systems in place, you know, the discipline for me in place has been a huge difference maker. Even just a year into this, my having to be crazy about getting up when we do at 5 a.m. and getting out into the gym, being crazy about how we're eating foods that bless our body and not anything else that I mean, right now I'm in a season And this wasn't a question, and you haven't asked one in forever, but I'm just going to keep talking. I'm loving it. We are
0: all in. Go for it.
1: (laughs) I'm in a season right now where I acknowledge that there are things that when stress or chaos or calendar clutter or the demands of the outside partners that we're in relationship with or chasing the next opportunity because there's many on the horizon, those things have at times in my life presented me with an option to reach for a coping mechanism, a vice. And in other seasons, I might not have had the wherewithal to acknowledge that trigger provokes this reaction, but right now I ain't got time for a coping device. Mm. And so what it's required is, like I have been a person in my adult lifetime that when things have gotten stressful, I've grabbed a couple drinks more than I probably should have at the end of a long day, to help just mute a little bit of the sharp edge of whatever that thing was. And that didn't serve me in really truly experiencing the friction in that moment that was there for me, not against me, but for me to grow into who I'm trying to become. But also it didn't serve me the next day when I needed to be the person who could lead a team of now 25 or whatever it might be. So I'm not drinking alcohol Mm. at all right now, period. Because I just know, It's not a thing that's going to help me during a season of chaos being a person who's had that as a vice. I'm not eating fried foods because I love fried foods. And there are times when things get stressful that I want to eat a full bag of Tostitos thin and crispy chips (laughs) with some dip. But Tostitos chips are not fueling my body and I can't get sick right now. We're doing too many things. And truly, like the thing that was a snap for me was when I started doing work that felt like it was as or more important for the audience because we're truly trying to do something that's about putting tools into people's hands. Well, the responsibility then for me to take care of myself so that I could, in this attempt to help take care of others, show up on the regular, I can't mess around with food that doesn't fuel my body. I have to work out every single day. And I don't wake up going, you know what? Let's turn into the rock, I wanna go be the rock today. I know, like Rachel does, and she's the one who's trained me and taught me this, that if I go do something physical, if I push myself physically, it's a hack to convince my brain that I can go do something that's difficult emotionally or difficult mentally. And I wanna get out there and push myself so that during a season where I'm being thrown, every single day, a thing that I don't know how to do perfectly, that I don't have the thing that I maybe have done historically show up, which is become insecure and decide that we shouldn't try and do all the things or worry about failing publicly and how it might be received. You know what? Let's go do it, fall on our face, pick ourselves up, learn from the experience and go do it. And I feel that way because I'm breaking down a muscle every morning in that stinking garage gym at 514 (laughs) a.m., And I feel strong like I'm invincible and can go do it even when I know I'm running a lot of times towards something that's not going to be perfect the first time. -hmm. God, what a long answer that was. Sarah, please get a hold of this interview.
0: (laughs) I love this answer. And there's like 18 directions I want to go. Okay. So, first of all, I so appreciate your transparency and your vulnerability, especially around the alcohol piece. This is actually one of the kind of the hot topics of this show this year that's come up. And I've been talking about alcohol in the context of moms and women in particular using alcohol as a coping skill when that's not what it should be. So, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think that men do that as just as women do. It's not commercialized the same way for men. So mommy juice and all that kind of stuff, that it's not marketed that way toward men, but men still do reach for drinks. And I think that men using alcohol as a coping skill isn't something that we're having a lot of conversation around. So I really appreciate that you brought that up and are open about that and recognize how it impacts you and how you can be better when you have other coping skills. So great lesson there. Another piece of this is, so I owned a gym for 15 years and I sold it last year. And I want to tell you that when I see you going out to your gym, I see you and Rachel posting from there at 514 in the morning. I have massive gym envy because I work out in my teeny tiny guest bedroom every morning. (laughs) And so
1: I know that you tell you what, this Texas thing, man, these Texas people don't mess around with a shop. I don't even know what it is. But it was here when we got here. The price of housing versus California was way less. So like a shop kind of came with it and we were like, What are we gonna do with this shop? And there was one answer Let's make a CrossFit gym. Except we don't like CrossFit. (laughs) So we made a regular gym. I mean I sorry, it. if you're a CrossFit person, be a CrossFit person. I just tore a muscle in my shoulder once doing it. That's a different story. The bottom <laughs> line is we made a gym in a stinking shop. I love it.
0: So let's talk about this too. Like I think it's really important to talk about imperfect action. And as you have approached imperfect action and instead of waiting for this is like my big kick this week, and it'll probably stick around for a while, instead of waiting for the perfect moment or the perfect time or the perfect opportunity create your own perfect opportunity. And so that can fit into so many different contexts and situations. But I love this idea that like, I don't wait for the perfect opportunity to go work out at a gym that's four miles from my house that I have to get in my car to that has the perfect classes with the perfect trainers. I work out in my guest bedroom because I can roll down there and be in my workout within three minutes of my alarm going off. Same thing with you with your home gym, even though yours is a little bigger and nicer than mine. So I think that this idea around Taking imperfect action and just creating opportunity for yourself rather than waiting for like the optimal circumstances is huge. And I love that you did that and that you are not waiting for someone down the street to open the right perfect gym or waiting for the right opportunity or the right invitations. You and Rachel together really are creating what you want to create and creating optimal circumstances for yourself as much as you can as you lay this path and i think that's a really beautiful and admirable thing to be doing and i want you to know that that doesn't go unnoticed as the rest of us are watching you and as you are very transparent in your morning shows which everyone needs to be watching on instagram live by the way so well, thank you for that i will say this
1: like here's the thing like there is a reason There's a rationale. I don't like the word excuse because it's triggering, but there's a rationale that you could apply to not doing what your best self deserves in any context. Through any lens that you look, you could say, you know what, I don't have time. So we don't have time because of the things that we're trying to accomplish, having four kids, all of it, to drive from where we live in the country, in the middle of the sticks, to the gym. And so us putting a gym in our shop, our little garage, was about time. So if you're a person that's listening and you say, you know what, I don't have the money to go to a gym. There is unlimited YouTube workout content available for zero dollars and zero cents today on the internet that you can do in your living room. Yes. You saying that you don't have the money to go to a gym is an identity that you've decided to sit in that makes you feel better about choosing to not do a thing that would feed you. Right. And so I think anytime you're seeing somebody else achieve, they're becoming a better version of themselves, their dreams are coming together, they have something in relationship space, if they're doing something like working out or eating better, and you've decided that they have an access to or an ability to have that thing that you don't, I would challenge it. And, you know, like, I don't want to, like, disregard the notion of privilege generally. Yes, there are some people that aren't able-bodied in a way that I might be, that this would maybe ruffle a feather. But if you and I have similar access and you decide that you don't have time, I'm gonna challenge you that you're choosing to use your time on things that you've put a higher priority on, Mm -hmm. like knowing what's happening on Game of Thrones, a show that (laughs) I've never watched because we don't watch television in our house, right? Like we've just decided, hey, we are gonna prioritize doing these other things over TV now do I watch the occasional show? Yes, of course. Like I'm going to watch billions on Showtime, fantastic show. I love it. And I watch This Is Us on NBC because I like to cry once a week. But <laughs> look, there are people who say they don't have time to do whatever it might be, work out or chase their you know, dream, their side hustle, their whatever it might be. But they can tell you all of what has happened on everything that's airing from nine to 10 on ABC. And that is a choice. You've Mm -hmm. chosen to prioritize watching television over doing the other thing that could have unlocked your potential and allowed you to deliver more value to the world.
0: Right. And I think, well, going back to identity, and we're going to go into identity here moving forward in the conversation, I think that it can be sometimes easy to wrap our identity around feeling a lack of opportunity or a lack of space around certain things versus feeling like you always have the potential to create any opportunity that you want. And that's a huge mindset shift. It's a big mindset shift to overcome to suddenly feel like, oh, wait, like anyone can be Oprah, or anyone can be Rachel Hollis like yes absolutely they can (laughs) but you have to believe that and you have to go after that and create those opportunities for yourself so I'm curious for you specifically around your evolving identity because I know that your identity was around your previous career working for Disney and how has that evolved in the last year and a half year year and a half and what does your identity look like today as it's evolved and concurrently with that question how has that shifted your identity in your marriage?
1: So everyone has an identity that to me is like super fluid. It's like changing. And the the reality is it changes a little bit with the context that you find yourself sitting in or the environment that you find yourself sitting in. But there are certain blocks of your identity that really govern how you show up in your work, show up in your relationship, show up for your kids that are a lot of times like foundationally built in our super formative years. So like I am the byproduct of parents who raised me to believe certain things about how men should be versus how women should be, how dads should parent, how men should provide how a whole host of things. And those beliefs were a big part in my unconscious, not even stuff that I think I was really like bringing to the surface, allowing to dictate the way that I operated as a person who pursued my career and thought about the roles gender wise in our home or in our relationship. And those things at 22 are massively and wildly different than they are at 44. The person that I married 15 years ago, Rachel is wildly different as much as I'm wildly different than we were in part because we've been able to personally develop and grow and let some of those capital T truths that were our parents that we had as ours fall away as we developed and created our own. The The existence that I had in a corporate environment that was considerate of the opinions of the people that I was trying to please and get promoted by, or the team that I was trying to lead, or the industry that I was sitting in, had me operating in a way that wouldn't really consider whether pursuing something that was unconventional to them was a thing that I ought to really think about. I was worried mm-hmm. about what they might think. Right. At the same time, I lived for the majority of my 20s and 30s with the commodity of certainty as a governing piece of my identity. The more that I could manage expectations, including my own, the more that I could maintain a status quo, the more that I could keep people happy. The more that I could provide, whether it was a house or a life or a taller fence or whatever it might be, the the idea of provision and the idea of certainty were very big through lines in who I was. And for a long time, I clung to that ideal at the expense of experiencing things that in uncertain waters would allow me to grow. Mm. And there was a lot of stimulus that was happening during my career building time where I had a new job often enough that my professional ADD being satisfied created enough uncertainty that I still felt growth. But the last seven years of my job at Disney was one that the first two or three years was a massive steep learning curve. I became the head of sales on the theatrical distribution side at 35 or so years old And I had never worked in theatrical, and I had barely worked in sales. And so I had to learn a lot. And it was challenging, and every day it was amazing because I was growing because I was failing. And then I didn't have to try as hard to get straight A's on grades at work, and I wasn't being tested. And because of the absence of those tests, I was getting that thing I'd clung to my entire adult life certainty at the expense of growth. And in that window for those last few years at Disney, the absence of growth, the absence of the possibility of failure created unfulfillment because there is a wild tie between growing and feeling a sense of fulfillment. If you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're never going to feel fulfilled. And so I had to choose, do I change this identity that I have, this one that clings to certainty to one that will reach over and over again for uncertainty. The uncertainty of us going into this business together wasn't about whether it might work or not because we had a lot of confidence that it was going to work. The uncertainty was, I don't know how to lead a small business. I don't know how to lead a media company. I don't know how to do social media well. I don't know how to be vulnerable as a man who works in you know front of a camera all day as opposed to the one who's spinning the story to the press and the optics management at the Walt Disney Company as the head of sales. And so the wholesale shift was what I needed to grow so that I could find fulfillment, unlock the passion inside of me and ultimately do the most service to the world. But it's been massively jarring to me. (laughs) It's been, it has, and it would be massively jarring to anyone. And so like the idea of, you know, Taking that chance to challenge an identity that you have convinced yourself of who you need to be so that you can become who you are meant to be is the most profound thing that any of us can do. And it's going to be hard. Yeah. And you're going to worry about whether or not people will make fun of or think oddly of your having made choices that don't make sense you know, to them. And that is a wasted emotion because no one literally is thinking about you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're all thinking about themselves, right? It has nothing to do with them being good or bad people. <clears throat> it is a state of humanity, just like I and you think about ourselves. So do they, you should do these things because it like unlocks the ability to actually fail because you don't know how to do it all. And in that failure, that failure is the thing that's growing you into who you're supposed to be. Absolutely. Wow.
0: Absolutely. Come on. So I actually posted a few weeks ago in a private Facebook group for our audience that I was going to be interviewing you. People were very excited. And it was the most common question that I got. And it's related to what we kind of are talking about right now is how does one get their partner to engage and invest in personal development when it's maybe not their jam? And I know this is something you and Rachel have talked about at length in different capacities and and all your online spaces. But I'm guessing that this is something you've really had to dig into and embrace in the last year and a half as things have gotten like you. I mean, you just so clearly and vulnerably let us know that this has been uncomfortable. So how do we support our partners or I don't want to say lead because I don't know if you can, but how do we turn our partners on to personal development so that they can have these kinds of shifts in their identity and growth in their identity?
1: Well, I mean, Rachel started saying this first because of the proof that came out of the experience that we had together, which is you can't change someone else. You have to change yourself first. Yes. And in our journey, her decision to reach for growth every day and do it even though it made me uncomfortable or even though I huffed when she woke up in the morning – the decision to do it was one that she was unwilling to compromise on because of how important it was to continue to evolve into who she was becoming. And one day after the, you know, grudging that I had done and the the grumpiness that I displayed, I became curious and her evolving into the woman that she is today was something that was inspiring to me. And I found myself in that posture that wasn't reaching for growth, interested in having some of her Kool-Aid. Truly, it starts there. That's number one.
4: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back.
1: a circle of people around me that were only at or above my level and interested in becoming better themselves. Mm. And I think like, you know, like it's a saying, I don't know who's saying it is. It's been around for a long time. You're the combination of the um, five people that you spend yes. the most time with. Right. And so if you are with people who are convinced that it's their lot in life to basically be stuck where they are, you will convince yourself that like them, you are also stuck. But if you're with a group of people that wake up every day, convinced, why not me? Why shouldn't I be the one that goes and changes the world? You're going to just like, because of osmosis, because of their modeling it, because of the like evidence that ends up showing up in their life, achieving the things that they want to achieve, you'll just start believing it. And Whether, you know, Henry Ford said this, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right, Mm -hmm. right? Like the mindset that chooses that you actually have the ability is the one that actually goes and does it. And so part of it is you have to just decide, you know what, I'm going to be this kind of person. For me, it also took a series of little wins, right? Like I didn't wake up and like, all right, I want all of it. Give me all the podcasts and all the books. (laughs) And I didn't. And I don't think most people do. Right. But I started like working out for me as much as I don't think it's identified as personal development was the first thing that I really committed to that helped. You know, I was individually making a choice to work on my fitness and the progress that I could see was training my brain that investing in myself could produce fruit.
0: Yes. I and totally then, think exercise. Right? I think exercise and fitness is absolutely personal
1: development. And right? I can so, say that
0: as a, as a fitness expert for 16 years. Like That's my expert opinion. And I'm going to stick yeah, with it.
1: I agree. And so like, for me, it's like, particularly for men, right? If reading a book about personal development feels taboo, but going to the gym doesn't, start moving your body 30 minutes a day. Yeah. My dude, you know, like just like start with something that feels like you taking initiative is producing a result. Right. Then find somebody else who's already doing that thing with you but that also enjoys going to a conference or listening to a podcast. Like here's the thing, I love podcasts and we have a couple. I mean, we have one. She has two, but The Rise Together podcast for me is if someone says, like, what's the best advice you have for getting my husband to want to, like, have a hard conversation? I'm like, go to episode 31. Yep. Or go to episode, right? Like, yep. we're trying to find ways to have in our relationship conversation that's pretty transparent but also entertaining, <laughs> a way that's for true. you to, like, have a palatable entry point for a discussion on a better version of your relationship that doesn't feel like medicine. Yeah. And so like now you've listened to one podcast and had a positive experience. Maybe you listen to this sex episode. Fantastic. It's embarrassing-ish <laughs> for us, but guess what? If it results in you having better intimacy and it changes the way that the man in your life considers himself a person who listens to podcasts, right? fantastic. What an amazing Trojan horse that ends up being. Happy to have played even a small part in that, and if he goes from there to listening to Ed Mylett or Brendan Burchard or Tony Robbins or any, like whoever, literally, I don't care who it is, right. but just getting into a habit of swapping, watching Sons of Anarchy, I picked a show that I thought was the manliest of men shows. Any <laughs> like swapping an hour of TV consumption for an hour of reading a book yeah. or an hour of listening to a podcast is like the baby next step after you've shown yourself that investing in fitness can produce a return investing in that podcast might produce a return for me, you know, like it took some convincing, but it also took me, frankly, having been stuck in a rut to agree to go to a personal development conference. And I was so skeptical and I was so reluctant and it fundamentally changed my life and fundamentally changed our marriage. Mm. And so Like It could just be that you start being in community with people who've had experiences that are a little bit further along the development journey, who can assure you that though you have skepticism or assure you though you have some definition of masculinity if you're a man or some definition of religion if like somehow self-help and relying on god is in conflict in some way for you which i just don't think it is then then maybe it opens your mind to the possibility that what might be in that podcast book or conference could in fact be something that helps you become a better version of yourself which like who doesn't want that now that i've become a convert now that i'm on the other side of it I feel sad for the version of me that discredited the help that exists, because now that I'm able to consume it and I'm so appreciative of it, literally, it feels like a bit of a crime of like society's making or a crime of like for me, like masculinity's making because I just really grew up with this kind of bias or taboo that self-help was for broken people, that people who went to these conferences or that read these books must not have been wired right or that somehow had life experience that derailed them and it just couldn't be further from the truth right absolutely okay one more thing because i am a mad advocate for this too and i just like do yourself this favor if you can afford it if you can't find another avenue but get in a room with someone who can objectively listen to all of your stuff i love therapy I think therapy was a game changer for me because it unlocked so many of the answers to why I do the things that I do. I don't go to therapy all the time, but I go to therapy enough that when something's happening and I start doing things that I want to try and understand the why, or I start feeling an emotion that I want to try and understand the why. The ability to sit in a room with an objective human being who can give you perspective that isn't attached to the relationship that you are in is so, so helpful, especially when it comes to wanting to understand the why you do the things you do things. And particularly for like men, if you had a pain in your side for four days, you would go see a doctor. But there are people, men and women, that have had a pain in their heart or a pain in their head psychologically, for 15 years, and they refuse to go see someone who can help treat that pain. Right. And it's because of some of the societal taboos that have been placed on the idea of therapy. And It's just been such a blessing for me and helped me really embrace everything else inside of the personal development space.
0: I appreciate that. I talk a lot about the benefits of therapy here, and I'm always telling people you gotta go like whether or not you think you need it it's beneficial to everyone so and I will say this
1: too like guess what there's cost associated so if you can't afford it this is another one of those like if you can't a lot of times churches will have therapy that you can get for a reduced or no Mm. price there's times when you can find somebody who's training to become a therapist will give you like there are still there's still sliding
0: scale you can find sliding sliding scale
1: scale. yeah Yeah. i think that there's still some ways i I don't want to represent that it's you know like a free thing necessarily but if you can't afford it don't let the idea of not being able to afford it keep you from you know trying to find a solution for letting somebody who's a little more objective provide some insight into what you're dealing with
0: right Okay. I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I have a question that came from a listener and this is kind of a bigger question. So I'll let you determine how deep you want to go with it. But I didn't know this about you and I thought I was a really good stalker. But you have a tattoo that says ally. Is that correct? I do. Can you tell us about that? And the person who asked this, she's a woman of color. And she said, I'm really curious about a white male having that tattoo. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I got this tattoo. It's the only tattoo that I have on my body. But I grew up in a very homogenous community in Orange County, Mm -hmm. uh, where everyone more or less looked the same and acted the same, dressed the same, believed the same, voted the same, loved the same. And so in that sheltered environment, I was taught certain things about what we did and what others were. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I was put into community with people who were totally different in every single way. And I had a little bit of hubris in thinking that I understood their journey, that I knew what it must be like to be like them. And it wasn't until really the last seven or eight years that we really started to lean into communities that were unlike ours to try and understand and create a little more of an empathy for what it might be like to like walk a day in their shoes. But also as a leader inside of the Walt Disney Company, I started getting more and more opportunities to be an executive sponsor of different groups. And so I was on the board of like a working women's initiative, women at Disney kind of thing. I was asked to be a part of the black employee resource group as an executive sponsor. I was the pride chief ally of the pride group, the gay and lesbian community at the Walt Disney Company. And though I'm not a woman and I'm not black and I'm not gay, being able to sit in the rooms with the the teams and understand what it was like to live inside of the company and do life through their eyes was amazing for me and helped me think a little bit differently about what it might mean as a person who has privilege as a white male Christian American man, who's straight, to stand with them and say, Hey, I might have access to a platform or my megaphone might be louder in some instances because of the way that the balance of society does or doesn't restrict your access. And I'd like to come alongside and advocate for your being just as deserving to be in this room or on the stage When we were going through our adoption journey, we originally were adopting out of Ethiopia. We have a two-year-old daughter. She is adopted. So the story ends well, but we started by adopting in Ethiopia. It didn't end up working out, but during the time that we were in the international program, we acknowledged that we were going to be a biracial family. And we looked for an intentionally multicultural church so that when she came into our life, we might have some practical experience with what it was like to raise or how we ought to best raise a daughter of color and wanted her to be able to also connect in community with people that we were actually friends with because we'd been in community with them. And as we sat in that church and against the backdrop of things happening that were not great in the news around police shootings, around other things that were involving people of color. The experience of my now friends that I was in community with and my experience were different experiences because of the way that we were raised or because of the color of our skin. And so we got to have conversations, hard conversations that informed a lot of real understanding on like, as much as in going to that church, I thought I understood race. I realized that I will never fully understand race. I'm going to try every day to become a little bit better informed about how I can be an advocate and ally for someone who has a different life experience because of the color of their skin or their sexuality or because of their gender. But I don't, you know, like I don't know that I'm fully ever going to understand it because I've only had my life experience. Mm -hmm. And so To end the story, I, out of the experience in and being that chief ally for the Pride group, it was such a great experience to be able to, we have to be Christians, and to be able to, as a part of our conversation with this community, represent an interest in understanding how they've had experience with God. So I got this tattoo because I wanted something on my arm that would say to my kids that it is a responsibility for people in this family to be on the lookout for anyone who needs an advocate or an ally who isn't getting the kind of representation in the boardroom or the opportunity to stand on the stage and fight for them as much as you might fight for yourself.
0: I so appreciate that in-depth answer. I know that when you have the big platform that you and Rachel have, this kind of conversation is really, really valuable and really touches people. So I appreciate that explanation and story and everything that that, that will provide to our listeners, because I know it's going to raise some conscientiousness for them as well. So Dave, this I is will ben. say this,
1: we, yeah. you know, we have our morning <clears throat> show every yeah. single morning, the Start Today Morning Show, where Many mornings we start with this exact same line though we don't look the same, act the same, vote the same, love the same, are the same that we come into community because the differences that we each have in community will potentially give us a little sense of how it is to do life as each other and maybe soften some of the edges of our hearts, especially in a country that can feel at times super, super divided. So. Just, man, get into community with people that are different than you because you will be able to see the world in a completely different way and you're going to grow. I mean, like my experience in like the diversity of the community that we've tried to intentionally push into has been one of humbling myself to really try and understand the world through the lens of somebody else's experience. And it's been so rich and at times like really hard to like fully understand and Anyway, it takes work, but I hope that yeah. people will, you know, consider coming into community. And there's always one at the start of the morning show. What a shameless plug in the show. <laughs> I, I mean, love
0: it. I mean, I was going to ask you to do that anyway, so it's perfect.
1: Unbelievable.
0: There is a rumor out there that you're writing a book. And is there anything you want to share about that before we go?
1: I'm writing a dang book. I turned that baby in. You did. Uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. I turned it in. Today's editing day on the book. I got my first round of edits back last week and I'm making my way through a bunch of red lines. I have decided to take an attempt at doing a version of a slice at uh, what Rachel did with Girl, Wash Your Face. I tackle having really uh, honest conversations about times in my life when I've gotten in my own way. I start with a little bit of a conversation around mindset, having been a person that was very much fixed mindset and what the opportunity, you know, that opening up yourself to a growth mindset might provide motivation, a lot of, you know, insight uh, that I've had on the difference between having been an externally motivated, extrinsically motivated person and what, you know, needing to have a fire in your own belly, intrinsic internal motivation might mean for your opportunity for growth. And then I just get into a bunch of limiting beliefs or lies, things Mm -hmm. that I believed that in my ability to uncover the truth in that lie have unlocked an ability for me to have a more fulfilled life. And so I talk about the first chapter is the lie that self-help is for broken people. But I get into, you know, self-help, the identities that we have in marriage, the conversation around alcohol. I mean, like I'm talking about all of, all of it. Yes. Yeah. So March 10th, 2020, we're, you know, just 10 months away. Put it on your calendar. Oh, Come it on. is.
0: It is on my calendar. It is in ink. It is in pen. So we'll definitely talk more about that in my community as it gets closer. And I'll definitely be doing some shout outs to send people in that direction. That's a great way, a great opportunity for women to nudge their partners into some personal development by having a great book to offer them. So that will be awesome Dave thank you so much for this this has been amazing I so appreciate your time I know you have a million things to do every day and I'm really really honored that you chose to do one thing today with me so thank you so much
1: Ah, Sarah so glad to be here have a great rest of your day thank you uh,
0: and then we're going to link up in the show notes I'll link up the Rise podcast the Rise Together podcast the morning show over on Instagram all that stuff will be linked up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com cool have a great day